Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're here to put together a program of six broadcast partners all around the world who will come to the broadcast table and give us information about current events unfolding in their region of coverage. And we'll put that together then with what God's prophetic word has to say about all that is happening in our world today. want you to stay tuned. In the second half hour, Winky Madad will join us from Israel. We're going to be talking about International Holocaust Remembrance Day. And then we'll have a conversation with Dr. Don DeYoung. This last week, President Biden did a number of executive orders. One of them was pertaining to global warming, climate control, whichever they call it, And I want to get the definition for these terms from Don. He's a scientist. And I also want to ask Don, is global warming and climate change really going on in this world? It's going to be a very important conversation. You do not want to miss it. But right now we go to Ken Timmerman. He's the man who covers geopolitical activities for us. He's an author, a worldwide journalist, and a very good friend of us here at Prophecy Today. Ken, thank you for joining us, and let me ask you my first question for your analysis today. Looks like Iran is disappointed because Joe Biden has refused to lift the sanctions that the Trump administration put on him. Is this a crybaby tactic, or what's going on? They're just trying to manipulate Biden? What's the deal? Yes, they are trying to manipulate Biden. The statement was from Tony Blinken, who now has been confirmed as Secretary of State. He was Biden's top foreign policy advisor, and, by the way, one of the architects of the Iran nuclear deal, and he basically told Congress in testimony that the sanctions would not be lifted against Iran until they came back into full compliance under the 2015 nuclear deal. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. The Iranians have stated quite clearly they are not going to comply with those details. We're in a chicken-and-the-egg situation here. The Iranians say they won't come back into compliance with the terms of the deal, which means dialing back their uranium enrichment until the U.S. lifts sanctions. And the U.S. is saying... Well, they won't lift sanctions until Iran comes back into compliance. This is actually good news, I think, for all of us who care about restraining Iran's nuclear weapons program. But it's not the end of the story. I believe that the Biden White House, the Biden regime, will in fact walk back into this nuclear deal. They will step down the sanctions bit by bit to see What's the sweet spot to bring Iran back into it? They have announced that this nuclear deal is key to their policy, and I don't think that the Biden regime will give it up. Interesting comment coming from the former Israeli ambassador to the United States. He made this statement that if there is a return to the Iranian nuclear deal, that there will be, first of all, in the Middle East, an arms race, and then he says, and possibly a war. What are your thoughts? Well, this is from Michael Oren, who is actually considered a left-of-center American-born Jew who became an Israeli citizen to take up the ambassadorship in Washington for the state of Israel a number of years ago. And I happened to meet Michael. He's also a historian. During the 2006 war, 
with Lebanon in northern Israel. He was working as a press officer for the Israel Defense Forces at that time. But look, what he's saying, I think, is widely held. It's a consensus view that should the nuclear deal with Iran uh, be taken up again, should it resume, it has no restrictions on Iran's nuclear weapons programs. There's a sunset, and that sunset will be over in a couple of years now. And it basically sets out a pathway. And, by the way, we've said this for years now. Critics, as myself and others uh, of the deal, have said this for years, that the nuclear deal with Iran sets out a pathway for Iran to nuclear weapons. And it shows them exactly how to do it while remaining in compliance with the terms of the deal. And this, of course, is going to encourage countries in the region, starting with Saudi Arabia, to launch their own nuclear weapons programs to keep up with Iran. So, yes, it will lead to an arms race. And I happen to think, Jimmy, that that's really a consensus view among people who look at these issues in the Middle East. And even those who may well be to the left somewhat of the center in political activity and thinking. Well, as all of this is going on, President Biden sent a B-52 bomber over the Persian Gulf in a message to Iran. What kind of a message is he sending them? Well, that's a good question. It's a serious question whether Joe Biden was alert enough when somebody from the Pentagon let him know that this was a the fourth time that they were going to send B-52s over the Persian Gulf, whether he was alert enough to object to it or not. I, I just don't know. I've not heard anything out of the White House that suggests this is part of policy. I think this was a CENTCOM, U.S. Central Command, operation. Uh, again, it's the fourth time in two months that they have flown B-52s over the Persian Gulf as a warning to Iran, don't start anything. Don't even think of starting anything because we can fly these nuclear-capable aircraft from bases in the United States. Uh, they flew from Alabama, if I'm not mistaken. We can fly them from the United States all the way to Iran and back without breaking a sweat. So I'm just not sure that, that Biden as president was even aware that this was taking place. Very interesting, and therefore he would not have a real message for the Iranians. I've uh, got to ask a question on behalf, I guess, of the Israelis. The United States has announced that it's going to renew relations with the Palestinians. They're seeking a two-state solution, and I happen to think that train's already left the station. What do you think? Well, that's clearly the desire of the administration, but look. Jimmy, it's been the desire of every administration, uh, except for Donald Trump's uh, administration, since 1993 with Bill Clinton. Uh, they've talked about a two-state solution. And every time the U.S. leverages the Israelis or pressures the Israelis into making concessions to the Palestinians, the Palestinians always find a great excuse to drop the ball and not take the, the deal that's offered to them. Yasser Arafat had turned down several deals with Israel that would have given him East Jerusalem as a capital of a new Palestinian state. The Palestinians do not want to live in a separate state alongside Israel. They want to dominate Israel. They want to crush and destroy Israel. It is still part of the PLO charter. Hamas announces this every day. So I think this is more wishful thinking on the part of the Biden regime, and I think it's this is kind of a return to classical U.S. diplomacy in the Middle East, which has proven itself to be futile 
again and again. You know, I would wish that you were advisor to Joe Biden on the Middle Eastern activities that he's going to have to make decisions on. Great thought there as you answered my question. There is a headline coming out of Jordan, Ken. I'm not sure how valid it is. They're making the statement that the Islamic State is back and coming with more power and, in fact, being empowered by the Biden administration. That valid or what's going on? Well, I, I think it's a, it's a warning shot across the bow to the White House. They are wondering, really, it's a question mark. They are wondering whether the new regime in Washington will also have this kind of hands-off attitude towards ISIS in Syria and Iraq. We don't know yet what they're going to do. So I think this, again, it's a warning shot, but it's a warning shot based on very recent history where the Obama-Biden administration with Susan Rice, with Anthony Blinken, with all of these people who have been brought back, it's Obama 3, really, that we're seeing in this administration. It's a legitimate question whether they will repeat the same mistakes that they made in 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015. Looks like Joe Biden is not going to only have to deal with the Middle East situation, but also the Far East. China has already started to test the Biden administration, making the statement that a U.S. military in the South China Sea, not good for peace. Well, that's just a, another shot across the bow, is it not? Oh, yes, and it's much more. It's very, very serious. And I warned about this the day that Joe Biden swore the oath of office on January 20th, and you and I talked about this last week already a bit. The Chinese are intent on making Biden and his regime understand that they own, China owns, the South China Sea, that they own those islands, the Spratleys, all these disputed islands where they've been building up uh, military bases and missile bases. And what the Chinese have done over the past 10 days already, they've been flying aircraft, combat aircraft, over Taiwanese airspace. They've made it clear that uh, they are going to threaten Taiwan, and they're basically challenging the Biden regime to react. Now, we learned that the USS Teddy Roosevelt, a, one of our aircraft carriers, sailed into the South China Sea a couple of days ago. I checked on that deployment, and in fact, that was a long-scheduled deployment. That was not something that was ordered by Joe Biden or by the White House or even by the new Secretary of Defense, that was something that was long uh, in the making, was part of their deployment schedule. So the United States has been aware of China's saber-rattling for many, many months in this area, and the U.S. military was already planning to put the Chinese on notice, don't do it. And the only thing we can say, I think, positive here is that, again, Joe Biden was, if he had other intentions, of sucking up to the Chinese, for example, if Biden had wanted to kowtow to the Chinese, he could have called off this military deployment. But my guess is he was not alert enough to know that it was taking place. That's the voice of Ken Timmerman. He's the man who covers geopolitical activities for us here on Prophecy Today, well qualified to be able to do that. Ken, great report. Thank you, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, David Dolan, he has a Middle East news update. You do not want to miss it. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. I have written a book entitled Sound the Trumpets. This book looks at four major trends given to us in the prophetic passages of God's Word. This book will look at an alignment of nations who will form a coalition to wipe Israel off the face of the earth that their name be forgotten forever. That's Psalm 83 and verse 4. Now this book would help you to better understand why all of the activity that is going on in the Middle East, current events, is actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. It will be a great source of information that will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. Go to my prophecy bookstore, prophecytoday.com, then to the bookstore to make your purchase of the book, Sound the Trumpets. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung, as I said here at Broadcast Central, we would invite you to stay tuned for the rest of the broadcast as we begin the next half hour. Winky Madad will join us. We'll be talking about International Holocaust Remembrance Day. And then at the end of that next half hour, Global warming, climate change, what's a definition of those two phrases? Well, Don DeYoung, Dr. DeYoung, will join us. He's a scientist. We're not going to approach this from a political perspective, but from a scientific and biblical perspective. You don't want to miss that conversation with Don DeYoung. But as promised, here is my good buddy, David Dolan. For many years, we've known each other, worked together, traveled together, and I'm always thrilled to be able to have a conversation with David. We that are students of Bible prophecy need to hear each and every week David's Middle East news update. So I'm glad he could join us here at the broadcast table. David, talk to me about troops, Syrian troops massing at Israel's border there at Mount Hermon. Is that a a serious situation or what? Well, it's being taken very seriously by the Israelis, I can tell you that. They have felt for some time that there probably would be an armed clash with Syria at some point. The signs of that have been growing. And, of course, it comes as the head of CENTCOM, General McKenzie, from the United States, met in Tel Aviv on Friday with the defense minister and with uh, the chief of staff and other Israeli defense leaders. So they were probably discussing that situation, Iran in general, just growing signs, Jimmy, that we could be facing a clash uh, any time there. 
Well, and at the same time, the Biden administration restoring aid to the Palestinians and making the statement they want a two-state solution. What about that? Is that going to fly or not? Well, Jimmy, the Jerusalem Post on Friday had an interesting article about that, and it pointed out some things that I've mentioned before, that to restore aid to the Palestinians will not be as easy as the Biden administration may want. Uh, the Force Taylor Act that was uh, the Taylor Force Act, actually, it's called, that was passed by the Congress a couple years ago, uh, restricts aid to the Palestinians if they continue to fund terror. That's still in effect. There was another law that was passed that makes the Palestinians liable for lawsuits over terror um, attacks that have involved Americans. Over $600 million in lawsuits are pending. Uh, if they reopen their embassy in Washington, they would become liable for that. And it points out some other obstacles in the way of that actually happening. So it may be the desire of the administration, but it is Congress again that has the purse strings of money, and Biden will have to deal with that. We hear that uh, the secretary, the new secretary of state, Blinken, has made the statement that the United States is committed to Israeli security, uh, restoring relationships and the aid to the Palestinians does not seem like it's a good step towards securing the state of Israel, does it? Well, again, that's on the political side, but on the military side, Jimmy, uh, significantly, Israel is now considered part of CENTCOM, the Central Command, and General McKenzie is the head of that and made a trip to Israel. That was after he visited Saudi Arabia and basically announced that U.S. forces would be stationed in western Saudi Arabia at the bottom of the Red Sea. That's, of course, where the port of Elad, Israeli port of Elad, is located on that sea. And recently the Iranians sent one of their ships to that area and said so publicly. So, you know, on the military practical side, the ties between the two countries are very strong and growing. On the political side, we have these other issues, but the Israelis are most concerned at present about those military relations. I understand that there is a concern of a return to the Iranian nuclear deal by the Biden administration, not only here in the United States, by about half of the body politic, but also by the Israelis as well. In fact, there is a quote from a former ambassador to the United States from Israel making the statement that if he does restore that nuclear deal, it could lead to an arms race and possibly a war. Your thoughts along that line? Well, again, Jimmy, the uh, chief of staff, General Kohavi, uh, made a statement about that on Tuesday, I believe it was, a very strong statement saying that this would be a very wrong direction for the U.S. to go on, that Iran is just weeks and months at the most away from having the capability to produce nuclear weapons. And he hinted once again that Israel's not going to sit around and just watch that happen, that they may take offensive action to prevent that. So um, all the talk uh, of uh, politics and all the talk of diplomacy is one thing, but on the ground we have Iran clearly in violation of that accord that the Obama administration negotiated with Iran. Uh, they are rushing to produce uh, highly enriched uranium. The Israelis are watching this very closely, and uh, it is something that could lead to an operation really at any time. 
David, we've been able to observe the Biden administration for about 10 or 11 days now. What does the Joe Biden presidency actually mean for the Israeli peace process, the deals, the Abraham Accords, etc.? Well, they've expressed, the administration has expressed support for those accords, although they did freeze the sale of F-35 jets to Abu Dhabi. They've been wanting those for some time. And uh, President Trump, uh, former President Trump, signed that deal the last day in office, and now that's been frozen. But the overall accords are seen as a positive development for sure, something they won't go back on. And also, Jimmy, there were uh, plans announced for the U.S. to expand its embassy in Jerusalem to build a new five-story building right next door and to build a ten-story building down from the promenade uh, not far away in Jerusalem that would house more U.S. offices and apartments for U.S. personnel. So again, on the ground, the ties are strong and continuing to grow while we have these political discussions about the Palestinians and that. By the way, Jimmy, the King Abdullah of Jordan urged Israel to give some vaccines for the coronavirus to the Palestinians. They just announced that they will be doing that. Well, that's good. I saw that information as well. And I think that Israel's most likely doing the right thing right now. Well, we've been watching Biden. Joe Biden, most likely the most powerful man in the world right now. And he's been calling some of his partners in this world leadership role that they have. But I don't know that he has, as of yet, called Prime Minister Netanyahu. That's the latest, or do you have something better later? I haven't heard that they've actually spoken either, Jimmy, but again, Netanyahu made statements during the week about his longtime friendship with Biden, that he's worked with him over various issues over the years, knows him very well, and President Biden has said similar things in the past uh, few months, that uh, those ties are strong. So they have promised that if they go back into negotiations with Iran, that they will include Israel very closely in those talks. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see. But they seem to be trying to be <laughs> friends to everybody right now. But that phone call, I haven't heard it's been made yet. David, I saw a very interesting headline that said Israel needs to understand that Trump is no longer president. (laughs) That's probably a true statement, isn't it? Well, it is, and they do understand that. And, uh, you know, in fact, uh, Netanyahu reportedly said privately to some of his aides, that this isn't the end of the world. And again, he reminded them that they've worked with Joe Biden in the past. I've mentioned it before. The real concern is that he may not last that long in office. He is the oldest U.S. president at 78. And then Kamala Harris would become president. She's an unknown quantity, but she's certainly far to the left of Biden and is very good friends with the squad, those uh, congresswomen that are not very favorable towards Israel, to say the least. So that's really their main concern at present. There is a report that Turkey wants to renew relations with Israel. Somebody tells Israel, don't trust Turkey. Your thoughts? Well, I don't think they'll ever really trust uh, Erdogan, but uh, they did have very good ties with Turkey over the decades, and they would like to see those restored, but definitely they would keep their eyes open very much to see that uh, there's not some shenanigans going on behind the scenes. 
David Dolan, the man who covers the entire Middle East. He gives us a Middle East news update every single week, which is basically key for those of us who are students of Bible prophecy. David has long journalistic experience in the Middle East covering all the latest news, a major region of the world. David, thank you so much for the report this week. Talk to you again next week. Glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Winky Madad standing by. We'll be discussing the International Holocaust Remembrance Day. And then at the end of that next half hour, global warming, climate change. What's a definition of those two phrases? Well, Don DeYoung, Dr. DeYoung, will join us. He's a scientist. We're not going to approach this from a political perspective, but from a scientific and biblical perspective. You don't want to miss that conversation with Don DeYoung. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, A Chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into the second half hour. Remember, I asked you for three half hours, told you I would give you my broadcast partners around the world. We're going to prove that in a moment when we go to Israel to have a conversation with Winky Madad. But if you'll give us the 90 minutes, you'll be able to better understand current events in light of the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. So glad that you could join us. By the way, if you're having some questions about President Biden's decisions to do a number of executive orders as it relates to global warming and climate change, you want to stay tuned for the last interview on this half hour when I'll be talking with Dr. Don DeYoung. He's going to help us to understand some of the words being used, and is there a catastrophic event that's upcoming that we should be concerned about? That's a bit later on this half hour of Prophecy Today. But as I said, we're going to Israel. Winky Madad is our broadcast partner. We talk to Winky just about everything that happens in the Jewish world because he is a part of that Jewish world, and he has a better understanding than I would or any other of my broadcast partners. And Winky, this last Wednesday, there was an event titled the International Holocaust Remembrance Day. Now, this was brought into existence 
as I understand it, by the United Nations. Am I correct? And what was the purpose of the United Nations bringing this special day for the entire world to observe? Well, Jimmy, the Jewish people through the state of Israel back in the early 50s decided that a day usually in April corresponding to about a week or so after the Passover holidays, would be the day that the Jewish people mark the day of the destruction of the European Jewry and the heroism of those few Jews who revolted and tried to defend themselves and to take revenge on the Nazi murderers. So that was the Jewish people's day of mocking uh, the destruction of the House of Israel on European soil. But there was a feeling that the world, which failed the Jews in between the years of 1939 and 1945, should also participate in this, and they picked the day in late January when Auschwitz, the most infamous and horrendous of the concentration camps and factories of death, as they were called, was liberated by the Soviets, and then very shortly thereafter, a series of concentration camps also were liberated by the Allies, who came, of course, from the West. So this was the day that was chosen as symbolic of the Allies' how can I call it, participation in the liberation of the Jewish people from the Nazi hordes. And it was at that time, you mentioned 1945, when General Eisenhower, who was the commander of the Allies, he was at that camp when it was liberated. He was so moved that he made certain that it was recorded on film. They documented it. He made the statement at that time, he said, I'm doing this because I don't want anybody in the future to be able to deny this ever happened. Boy, General Eisenhower understood what the possibilities were, did he not? Yes, he did. I mean, I think it was more the American generals. I'd also include General Patton and a few others who were really, I think, unfortunately, and I think this reflects on what happened at that period, were taken almost by surprise at the, at the horror of coming into these camps and seeing these emaciated people and realizing what had happened over the past few years. And as you, I think, intimated, the idea that the Holocaust never took place, that the number of Jews was much less than six million, there was no gassing or even crematoria, all these ideas of what we call now revisionist history People saw it. As you said, people filmed it. People survived it. They gave testimonies with exact details. And we're still, unfortunately, even today, fighting about whether or not, between 1939 and 1945, the Nazi regime decided to do away with the Jewish people as if it's a, a, a fairy tale that Jewish people and their friends make up for some odd reason, and it, and it hurts even more to realize that people who usually are intelligent seem to fall for the trap of denying what was. This year, I understand, Winky, that they have focused on the 1.5 million children 
that were killed during this Holocaust. Why were those children killed? What were they guilty of? Jimmy, the only answer that I can give is that their existence as Jews who would in the future grow up to be Jews was totally intolerable to the Nazi leadership and unfortunately too many other Germans and other peoples who cooperated with the Germans in carrying out a racial policy which meant that you could never relieve yourself of your identity. You were always a Jew, even if your great-grandparents on one side weren't. You know, the, they made up these racial laws back in 1935 called the Nuremberg Racial Laws, defining who was a Jew. And at that time, of course, racism was not only practiced against people of skin color or eye uh, angles, but simply because they were defined as Jewish. And that was the result. And unfortunately, children, from infants to, to uh, teenagers, were put to death, were, were driven to slave labor camps. And it's a very, very heavy weight, of course, on not only Jews, of course, but those people who realize that this was immoral and should never happen again. Well, the fact is, if you've been to Jerusalem visiting the Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum there, and went through the Children's Museum, you would be so, so moved uh, that you would never forget that particular experience. Winky, it looks to me like the rise of anti-Semitism is how the Holocaust came about. So it's not good today that anti-Semitism is on the rise even in these days, is it not? It is, Jimmy. We see it almost all the time. We've had some unfortunate examples of shootings in the United States last year, year and a half ago or so. It seems that there are certain people that must adopt conspiracy theories. They must have someone else to blame uh, for things that either they cannot control or they themselves are too weak enough to, to do the things that are proper. And then they point to the Jew who has, of course, suffered not only recently, but over many centuries, being held up as a scapegoat for many things. And I, I hate to use the word, Jimmy, but for some people it comes very natural to turn around, not even knowing your Jewish neighbor, you don't even know what he thinks, says, or do, but you seem to have some sort of feeling of accusation against him, and it makes you feel better. And that's the secret, I think, unfortunately, of anti-Semitism. This last week, Prime Minister Netanyahu made a statement there at Yad Vashem. He said, never again is not simply a slogan. It's the policy of the entire state of Israel. That's a great thought, isn't it, Winky? Jim, it's undeniable that one of the great motivating sources that Israelis and Jews around the world have, besides, of course, the biblical truth of the love of Zion and the land of Israel, which I call like the positive element, there is a negative element, that we cannot allow ourselves to be put into a situation where either we become defenseless or we become weak or 
we are threatened not with border incidents or an occasional terror attack, which unfortunately we have to go through, but from states such as Iran or groups of people around the world who really do not want us to exist. That's a tremendously overwhelming thought that can scare people when I say my existence is threatened, not my house, not my employment, or, or anything else of that nature. And that is what has to be impressed upon people of faith, people of ethics, people of morality, that they have to be very careful, and they have to join together with us to fight the dangers. The voice of Winky Madad helping us to stop for a moment and think about that horrific event of World War II, the Holocaust, six million Jews killed just because they simply were Jewish. Winky, thank you so much for helping us to remember these things. We cannot fail to continually remind this world of that terrible time that did take place back in World War II. I appreciate you giving us some of the history and some of the background and some of the understanding that we needed. Thank you so much, Winky. Jimmy, again, thank you very much for having me on the program and able to talk to your audience. And I wish you good few days coming up until next we talk. Thank you, goodbye to you, and to our listeners. Very important conversation with Winky Madad on the Holocaust, that horrific event that took place in World War II. We do not want you to forget it. That's why on an annual basis, we bring it up right here on Prophecy Today. Well, let's go to an area that basically witnessed the entire Holocaust many years ago. That was, of course, during World War II back in the 40s. And the man who covers that region, of course, that's Europe and the European Union, is John Rood. John, speaking of the Holocaust, let me go with this first question, if you will. The Palestinian Authority made a statement this week that the Holocaust was actually Europe's repaying the Jewish people for their wickedness. What are your thoughts? It's really amazing. This was excerpted from a uh, Palestinian Authority TV program. They've even taken some content from Israel, misinterpreted, mistranslated, you know, it's amazing sometimes when you travel in all of these nations to see the television and the propaganda that is used. And the Palestinian Authority has come out very, very strong again, uh, anti-Semitic uh, messages, and actually twisting to blame the, the Jewish people for anti-Semitism. And they've accomplished 87% of Palestinians believe people hate Jews because of the way Jews believe. And the Palestinian chairman, Abbas, is right in with it, propaganda, saying, therefore, that the uh, Zionist movement had paid the price during World War II and the Holocaust for its conspiracies and wickedness. It's just a complete twist, and you'll see it as you travel around the nations of the world, how television is used for propaganda. This is absolutely the foremost. Well, what's ironic to me, Mahmoud Abbas, who is the president of the Palestinian Authority, actually denies that a Holocaust ever took place. I can't see how he can blame the Holocaust if it did not happen 
on anybody, especially Europe. Well, we do talk about Iran quite a bit here on this broadcast, and it looks like right now that the European Union is losing patience with Iran and their nuclear ethics that are taking place. The European Union is uh, saying they're losing patience with Iran. Uh, what took so long? Now that the idea that Iran has increased their uranium enrichment, the United States is coming on the scene and trying to put this uh, deal together, which we call the Iran nuclear deal. But uh, why put a deal together when it's clear that they haven't even uh, kept the deal in the past? Iran is really a player here playing the European Union against the United States. The nuclear deal was from 2015, but it's over. But Europe has acted as if it's on all the time, and then Iran just uh, really uses the European Union in this regard. So if the European Union is really uh, fed up with the entire uh, deal here, it appears that uh, the United States is, could also have very serious situation, improbable possibly, to reinstate the Iran deal. And this is what Iran is leveraging right now. We also mentioned China in our conversations in the past as it relates to the European Union and this major superpower, China. It looks like China now is urging the European Union to develop a strategic autonomy. What's that all about? You know, China, uh, interesting enough, they have echoed the statement of the French president, Macron, uh, speaking to NATO that Europe needs a, strate a strategic autonomy. So the EU is China's biggest trading partner, and uh, the EU expresses concern about China, but now there's a new investment deal with China. Uh, and so they're working on the money side as well. And China is basically saying that our relationship with the European Union it's not attached to any other major country relations. Well, we certainly know that's a reference to the United States. So Europe is trying to uh, play both sides as usual. Uh, usually they lose out on both sides. I know you're not an expert on the Vatican necessarily, John, uh, but the Pope has made a very interesting pronouncement. He is actually defending President Joe Biden on his stand on abortion. Something's wrong there at the Vatican, in my opinion. What's yours? Well, it, it appears here that a lot could have been done a lot earlier, and it's seen this coming. The news is filled that the President Biden is the first Catholic uh, president in the White House since uh, John Kennedy. And so they kind of step behind this idea that he's a devout Catholic. He attends church regularly, even though White House press secretary said this, in regards to questions about abortion. So they're not really giving a direct answer, even though he attends church. That does not coincide with the actions that we're seeing, and there's a lot of pro-abortion laws that are being stated and reinstated. The Catholic bishops in the United States, their organization has really come out and pointed that there's a serious, serious situation here. It seems like it could be a little too little too late. So the Catholic Church seems to be bending somewhat in this that they haven't dealt with it earlier. wonder if the Pope 
is playing actually to the White House and President Biden. Well, we'll stay on top of that story and many others with John Rood, the man who covers the European Union for us, and he is so essential. His report, absolute, for each and every week as we watch prophecy unfolding in that particular region of the world. John, thank you so much. We'll have another conversation next week. Uh, thank you, Jimmy. And, uh, you know, indeed, we're seeing uh, acceleration of all these things. Thank you for, for covering the news. Very important conversation with John Rood. He gives us his European Union update. If you're a student of Bible prophecy, you should tune in to hear what John has to say each and every week as we watch the political activities there in the European Union, moving quickly towards the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. I have a DVD documentary. It's entitled The End Times, and it is a documentary on the first four of the sealed judgments that are foretold in Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. You need to see this because a part of this documentary talks about the alignment of nations that will come against the Jewish state of Israel Iran will be a major player in that battle. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to my Prophecy Bookstore, and there you can make your purchase of The End Times. Well, right now, a good friend and a broadcast partner with us right here on Prophecy Today, Don DeYoung. Dr. DeYoung is a scientist He's an astronomer. He's an author. He's written a great book on astronomy, Astronomy and the Bible. It's available at my Prophecy Bookstore, prophecytoday.com. Go to the book section. You'll be able to purchase Astronomy and the Bible. Don, I wanted to have a conversation with you this week because of some of the activities of our new president, Joe Biden. He's been very actively putting executive orders together, and some of them focused on global warming and climate change. I thought it would be very important for our listeners, mostly Christian, to be able to understand some of the vocabulary and some of the so-called science that they are talking about. So thank you so much, Don, for joining us. Well, thank you, Jimmy. Good to be here. Let me begin by having you define two words. First of all, global warming, and then climate change. What is global warming? Well, Jimmy, global warming would be a a long-term increase in the uh, Earth's temperature, either the surface temperature or up in the atmosphere. It would involve uh, a several-degree average annual increase. And then that would be defined as warming. Of course, you can also have the opposite. You could have global cooling if you had a thermostat turned down for the entire planet. Well, then that's one of the terms they're using. What about the other term, climate change? Give us a definition for that. Yes, Jimmy, climate is interesting. It's a a long-term average of the weather. Now, this uh, has to involve several decades, let's say 30 to 50 years. What I'm saying is that uh, one hot summer 
or one cold winter does not mean a, a climate change. If you had uh, multiple cold winters, let's say in a row, then you could begin to talk about climate. It's got to be long-term. Of course, the weather is always fluctuating up and down, and so climate is going to be a long-term average. Well, then, with those definitions, may I ask you the bottom-line question? Is either of these global warming or climate change taking place today? Well, it does appear, Jimmy, that we are on the front end of a slight warming of um, the Earth's surface. We do have a couple of decades now of this kind of data. But the thing is, the world's climate is always making adjustments. Some decades a little warmer, some decades a little cooler. There are a lot of variables involved, and uh, the changes are always going on. And, Jimmy, if we look at history, during, uh, let's say, um, the pre-flood centuries on Earth, the whole world was more tropical. There was no uh, ice at the poles. The, the climate was warmer. We do know also that in the post-flood centuries, then uh, there was an ice age on the Earth, and the temperature dropped, uh, let's say, a half a dozen degrees, and um, the world was cooler. Today, again, the temperature seems to be um, warming up just a degree or so. In fact, Jimmy, this is what is so amazing. When you have this kind of population on the Earth, there's an amazing stability of the Earth's climate, that the temperature only changes by a degree or two. It just shows that when God set up this world, he built in stability, anticipating the world's population. It's just surprising how, how constant the temperature is over the world. You know, it's interesting as I watch these people who are so concerned about global warming and our climate change, they keep making this statement that we're headed towards a catastrophic event. Is that any way, or shape or form, a possibility? Well, no, it's not. You know, Scripture gives us the promise that the seasons will follow during this whole age that we live in. Uh, again, the climate is always making adjustments. Now, certainly uh, mankind, uh, we're not neutral. We do add to the system, but there are so many variables. The sun can either cause a, a warming or a cooling. So can the oceans. We have found out that volcanic activity actually um, lowers the temperature because the dust in the air kind of shades the sun. Multiple factors going on. We as well as people have an effect as well. We're not sure how much it is. I expect that it's rather minor. So uh, many things going on, but again, the integrity of the climate is that um, this Earth system will continue. Been warmer in the past, been cooler in the past, and so it will continue. And again, Jimmy, not that we uh, can ignore the whole situation. You know, we have Scripture, uh, chapter of 1 of Genesis, verse 28, tells us to fill the earth and subdue it. Well, to subdue the earth, that doesn't mean to turn our back on the place. Actually, it's a strong word. It means to, to study the earth, to manage it, to help it bring out its best. And in that way, we don't trash the place. We don't ignore even changing climate. We do what we can, but not to go overboard. It's not the end of the world. You know, that's very interesting that you referred to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. 
I love that, and it's a directive from God himself for us to be great stewards. We especially, as Christians, to be great stewards of this earth that he has given us to live upon. Well, Don, I have to bring to the table as well, though, there is going to be a time when, indeed, this earth will burn up. It's found there in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, a earth that will burn up, an old earth, and then a new earth. That's in the future. That's absolute, too, isn't it? Well, it certainly is, Jimmy. Yes, the end times doings under God's control. It talks about the sun getting extra warm at one point, and that came intensity. It talks about another time when the sun is covered and it gets cooler, just to realize that God's in control and He He runs those end time events. What a serious and strange time that is when the very climate, the very earth systems are seemingly out of control. How fearfully that would be to people who don't know the Lord. Of course, we're around his side where we don't have any fear of those end-time events, realizing that it's all in his hand. He does control the climate and can wrap things up in his own time. I love that statement. He does control the climate and also global warming. He can wrap everything up when he wants to in his time. Boy, that's great, Don. Thank you so much for helping clarify for our listeners some of the vocabulary that's being used as it relates to global warming and climate change. I do believe that the truth will make us free, so I wanted the truth to be presented here on the broadcast today. Thank you so much, Don. Appreciate it. We'll have another conversation real soon. Thank you, Jimmy. We're going to have to take a break now, and when I come back, one more broadcast partner, David James, we're going to be talking about the abortion issue, a very important conversation. You don't want to miss it. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. We've been here for about an hour. We need another half hour. We've got one more broadcast partner, David James. We'll discuss the abortion issue in a moment right here on Prophecy Today. want to remind you that my poll question is available. It's on my home page. Scroll down on the left-hand column. Here's the question for this week. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 says that God knew us before we were born, even before we were conceived. Therefore, do you believe that as it relates to the abortion issue, the question of when life does begin is a key question? That's the poll question. Be sure to answer it. It's on my homepage at prophecytoday.com. We now bring to this broadcast table David James. David and I have a weekly conversation focusing on issues that confront the body of Christ, the church, the Christians, and we want to be able to bring to the table biblical and prophetic information from God's Word that will assist us in making decisions as to how we should deal with these particular issues. We're so excited about the conversation today because we want to be talking about Right to Life Sunday, Churches for Life Ministry, and President Biden's recent actions along this line. David, great to have you along. 
You know, this week we received an email from one of our listeners who was wondering how God's eternal promises of blessings to Abraham can be reconciled with President Trump losing the election since he did so much for the Jewish state of Israel. What are your thoughts? Well, Jimmy, it's certainly a good question, and I'm sure that others have uh, wondered the the same thing. I've edited our listener's email a bit for clarity, but the gist of what he wrote is this. I have a question about an oath God swore to Abraham. I know God can do anything he wants because of who he is and his ways are not our ways, but this involves an eternal promise. President Trump did more for the nation of Israel than any other president since Truman, and since the president did this as the leader of our country, would you not think that God would respond to this pledge? And of course, our listener is referring to the Abrahamic covenant where God told Abraham that I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you, meaning both Abraham and his descendants. And since the entire covenant is eternal and unconditional, Ultimately, we know that God will faithfully fulfill his promises to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. However, you know, that President Trump lost the election doesn't necessarily mean that God has withdrawn his hand of blessing on this country. We're still one of the most powerful, prosperous, healthy, and and free countries on the planet. But on the other hand, God's promises of blessings would not be independent from everything else going on in this country. And, you know, the question isn't how God could judge us given our stand for Israel, but how could he not judge us given everything else that's happening, whether it be because of corruption or rampant immorality or the ever-increasing demand that the God of the Bible be completely removed from the public sphere. And also, I would say that we need to understand that it's somewhat difficult to see the big picture of what God is doing, especially in the short term. So we don't know exactly what lies ahead. Great thoughts there, David. Appreciate that. And it's always good to be able to respond to emails from our listeners. Be sure to keep sending them in, my good friends. We so enjoy the opportunity to teach through that as well. David, because of the inauguration this last week, we were not able to have a chance to talk about the 48th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. That was the decision by the Supreme Court back in 1973. But I did want to deal with the abortion issue before we got too far away from it. Let's uh, begin that discussion. Sure. Well, uh, as you mentioned, last Friday, January 22nd, was the 48th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And in light of the recent change of administrations, uh, I think we need to keep an eye on this in the coming months and years. Back in 1984, on January 13th, President Ronald Reagan issued a proclamation designating January 22nd as the National Sanctity of Human Life Day. And in 2019, 17 states enacted some sort of abortion restriction legislation. However, on Thursday, President Biden signed a memorandum to reverse the ban on U.S. government funding for foreign nonprofits to perform or promote abortions. And that memorandum also directs HHS to immediately consider rescinding the Trump administration rule that would block health care providers in the Title X family planning program from referring patients for abortions. You know, before the election, Franklin Graham said that Biden and Harris represented the most pro-abortion ticket in history. So this past Sunday, we had a presentation by Dr. Carol Faust, who's the 
executive director of Churches for Life based out of St. Louis, and it's a biblically-based ministry, and I would encourage our listeners to get involved with them. Their byline is Nourishing Churches as Gospel-Driven Champions for Life, and their website is getintolife.org, one word, getintolife.org. And uh, she presented information that should grab the attention of everyone in our churches, and one startling statement she made, of which I was not aware, and that is that one in four women will have an abortion in their lifetime. I want to talk about that presentation at your church. We'll do that in just a moment, David. But, you know, I think it's difficult for most people to get their minds around the magnitude of this tragedy that's actually happening every day. The numbers really are staggering once you start to analyze them, aren't they? Yes, they are. And, and of course, I don't want to get into the weeds with too many statistics, but I do think we need to get some perspective. First of all, in the 48 years since Roe v. Wade went into effect, an estimated 60 million babies have been killed. That's the entire population of the states of California and Florida combined. To look at it another way, the total number of people who live in the 28 least populous states in the country, that's around 63 million people. So imagine just wiping out South Carolina, Alabama, Kentucky, Oregon, Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi, and that's only about a fourth of of those 28. Jimmy, that's nine times the entire population of your state of Tennessee alone. According to the CDC, around 21,000 children under the age of one-year-old died in 2019, but there were around 610,000 abortions. So I don't want to be crude, but statistically, being inside a mother's womb is 30 times more dangerous for a baby than his first year of life outside the womb. And to put this into another jarring perspective, For every minute of our discussion today, at least one baby will have lost his or her life at the hands of an attending physician, even though most of us trust doctors to do no harm. It is truly staggering. Very, very staggering. People need to stop and just think about what you've just reported to us. Well, let's get back to that discussion of the presentation that the Churches for Life director made at your church. What were some of the important takeaways from her presentation? Well, one of the things is the vast discrepancy between states that have many versus few abortion clinics. So, for example, in 2019, there were 709 abortion facilities in the United States, with the highest numbers being California with 146, New York with 91, Florida has 58, Illinois has 28. On the other hand, seven states have only one abortion facility, and the one in Missouri is now still operating, I believe, but it's it's illegally operating. But here's the thing. Some states, like Illinois, which is adjacent to Missouri, they're planning to build facilities near the borders of states with very few abortion facilities, like Kentucky, which has only one. So prior to Roe v. Wade, abortion on demand was legal in only four states, while it was illegal in 30 states. But there are a few states that already have automatic triggers in place to revert back in case Roe v. Wade gets overturned. I did some research myself, too. According to the Pew Research Center, 
61% of Americans across the board say abortion should be illegal in all or most cases, while 38% say it should be illegal in all or most cases. And then thinking about it along religious lines, 77% of white evangelical Protestants say abortion should be illegal in all or most cases. So that's three-quarters of all evangelical Protestants. But in contrast, 60% of white mainline Protestants say it should be legal in all those cases, as do 64% of black Protestants. And I was surprised to see this, that over 50% of Catholics think it should be legal in all or most cases as well. But I would say, Jimmy, one possible glimmer of hope in this is that the number of abortions dropped from uh, almost 1.4 million in 1996 to about 620,000 in 2019. But again, we have to wonder what will happen under the present administration. Yes, that is a concern. And one of the prayer requests that I bring to the Lord each and every evening as my wife Judy and I get together to pray, thinking about praying for those in higher authority. David, I wanted to get to the question of personhood because this is really the bottom line. No matter what may happen with Roe versus Wade or any other abortion legislation. Well, that's right. In his opinion, back for Roe versus Wade, Justice Blackman wrote this, We need not resolve the difficult question of when life begins. When those trained in the respective disciplines of medicine, philosophy, and theology are unable to arrive at any consensus, the judiciary at this point in the development of man's knowledge is not in a position to speculate. The Born Alive Infants Protection Act of 2002 ensures that the legal concepts of person, baby, infant, and child include those who were born alive through miscarriage or abortion, regardless of gestational age. In 2004, President Bush signed the Unborn Victims of Violence Act, and that extends personhood to anyone who's targeted or killed as an unborn baby during any of 60 violent crimes, and that's consistent with Exodus 21, which makes someone guilty of murder if they cause a miscarriage. And from a scientific perspective, viability of the baby outside the womb keeps moving back further and further. Right now it's in the 21 to 22-week range, but the question is always, can we save the baby, not can we save the fetus? And there's a lot of research being done to create artificial wombs, and if that happens, there's no longer going to be some mystical, undefined time when fetuses become humans. Logically, they must all be a person from the very beginning. And, you know, God took on human flesh at the moment Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And in Luke chapter 2, Elizabeth says that she felt her baby leap in her womb, and the word that is used of her unborn child is the same word used of Jesus after he is born. The scriptures are so key for our understanding of the question on personhood. Well, David, as we wrap it up for today, what are some of the things that we as individuals can do to make a difference in our churches and in our communities? Well, let me just make one other comment about personhood. The same things that apply before a baby is born also applies to the end of life or people who are born with disabilities. So if we're not careful, we're going to not call them persons either. So we can get connected with ministries like Churches for Life. We can reach out to local pregnancy centers and get involved, and we can get involved with 
one of the thousands of faith-based adoption agencies across the country. As Dr. Faust noted, 70% of women who have had an abortion say they're Christians, and 52% say no one in their church knows about it. So we have an opportunity for ministry in our churches and our communities to help them avoid a decision they'll regret for the rest of their lives. Very important discussion David and I had today. You may want to go back, re-listen to what our comments were on this issue of abortion. You could go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, and when you find PTRN on the right-hand column on my home page, you'll be able to get the link so you can re-listen to this conversation or send that link to some friend of yours who does need to hear this discussion. David, thank you very much for the research and for your comments. Appreciate it. We'll have another conversation on another issue next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. I'll look forward to it as always. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'll open the Bible, take a look at the book. We'll put together all the comments from my broadcast partners and deal with the issues from a biblical perspective. That's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today on Prophecy Today Weekend, Each of my six broadcast partners had excellent reports for us, giving us insight into the issues happening in their coverage area of our world. Now, these are reports that you will not hear on mainstream media. 
These reports also revealed to us how current events are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. In a moment, I'll give you my prophetic perspective on these reports. But first, let me remind you that if you had to miss any of these reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, where we have archived these reports so that you can listen to them at your leisure when it is convenient for you. My poll question is available. Here's the question for this week. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says that God knew us before we were born, even before we were conceived. Therefore, do you believe that as it relates to the abortion issue, the question of when life does begin is a key question? That's the poll question. Be sure to answer it. It's on my homepage at prophecytoday.com. And now I would like to give you my prophetic perspective on the reports from my broadcast partners. Ken Timmerman, who covers the geopolitical world, gave us information about many leaders in the Middle East saying that if there is a return to the Iranian nuclear deal, it will start an arms race and possibly a war. You must remember that today Iran is the number one enemy in the Middle East, not only for Israel, but the Arab states as well. That's Ezekiel chapter 38. Giving nuclear weapons to Iran will absolutely encourage a arms race and ultimately war. That's what God's prophetic word has to say. David Dolan each week brings us his Middle East news update. He talked about President Biden's administration restarting funding for the Palestinian Authority and also calling for a two-state solution. You know, both of these moves by President Biden are very dangerous for the Israelis. The Palestinians want to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. They do not want a two-state solution. One state called Palestine. The funding and the backing by the United States helps this scenario ultimately to be fulfilled. Winky Madad, a longtime broadcast partner with us here on Prophecy Today, came to the broadcast table to discuss with me the International Holocaust Remembrance Day. This was a day initiated by the United Nations for the world to stop and remember the horrific events during the Holocaust. It should also remind each and every one of us of Bible prophecy and the fact that there is a greater Holocaust coming to the Jewish people. That's Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 8, where it says two out of every three Jews during the seven-year tribulation period will be killed. At the present population of the Jewish people in this world, that would be about eight million Jews killed, two million more than what happened during the Holocaust. 
may I suggest you try to communicate this information to your Jewish friend. John Rood is the man who covers the European Union, and he told us that the European Union is losing patience with the Iranian antics in their nuclear program. The European Union, remember, will be the revived Roman Empire. And of course, Iran, a major Islamic player in the end times as found in Bible prophecy. John's report helps us to see how this is all coming together and very quickly. Study, if you have time, Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, and 23 and 24, and the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38. Dr. Don DeYoung came to join me for a great conversation on global warming and climate change. The very first thing I had Don do was to give us a definition of these two words. They are being thrown around by the politicians, and I wanted to see exactly what they were talking about. I believe the body of Christ, we as Christians, need to understand what they are saying. By the way, Don said that both global warming and climate change is indeed happening today. However, it's almost unnoticeable. Wonderful verse there in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, where the Lord said he set the seasons in place and they will be forever. David James and I had our weekly conversation when we focus on an issue confronting the body of Christ. This time we focus on the abortion issue. Remember the 1973 Supreme Court decision allowed for abortion to take place in this world. And if you missed the opportunity to hear the numbers of children being killed, over 60 million since 1973. Psalm chapter 39 says that we were wonderfully made by God. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5 says he did that basically in his mind before we were born, even before we were conceived. Life does begin in the mind of God in eternity past. Each and every one of my broadcast partners brought to the broadcast table key information on the issues and current events that they gave us. All the reports, tangible evidence that we are coming oh so close to the fulfillment of the prophetic scenario that is found in Bible prophecy. Please remember the next event is the rapture of the church. The reports we receive today indicate to us that the rapture is close and actually could happen at any moment, even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.